Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, good morning, Celebration Church. You doing all right? Oh, come on. Are you doing all right this morning? Come on, this is Texas. Let's get rowdy. Uh, hey, if we have not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Keenan Clark. Uh, I have the privilege of getting to be one of the pastors on staff here at Celebration. And uh, my wife and I, we have the privilege of overseeing our young adult ministry, uh, which Shameless Plug meets every Thursday night at 730. Uh, we meet right here in the main auditorium. We have full-blown worship. I'm typically preaching every single Thursday night. And uh, God is moving mightily um, in our young adult ministry. And I just love it because right now, in, in a space and place like we've never seen it in, in history, um, my generation, people my age, are leaving the church in droves. And what I love is our young adult ministry is growing and flourishing, is reaching people um, in the face of that movement. And so I just believe that you can't believe every headline you hear, everything that you see online. There is a remnant of young people who are passionate about the things of God. And uh, if you would, li- if you, if that's you, or you would like it to be you, I encourage you to jump in the fire with us every Thursday night and uh, watch what God does in your life. But are you guys ready for the word this morning? Come on, with no further ado, I don't know what ado is, but we're not going to go further in it. Um, With no further ado, we're going to jump right to the Word of God. We're in a series right now um, that we're simply calling The Classics, and what we are doing is we are endeavoring to go back and look at some different um, historical biblical figures, because they're not just Bible characters. These men and women actually lived, and we're seeing just how relevant their life is to us today, that they're not just these antiquated, dusty old people. They're people God used in their day, and God wants to use their life to touch your life this morning. So with that being said, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down. If you didn't bring a Bible, I brought one for you to my right and to my left, the big Bible in the sky. Matthew 11, we're going to read a few verses here. We'll start at verse 2. Can we throw it up on the screen? Matthew 11, verse 2 says this. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Here in this moment, we find John the Baptist asking this question, are you the one or should we be waiting for somebody else. And this morning, as we begin to go through this this study this morning of this passage, I'm preaching a message that I'm simply calling this. Are you ready for my title? If you are a title person, here you go. It's called this, The Benefit of the Doubt. That's the title of my message this morning, The Benefit of the Doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you right now that you are going to come and do what we cannot do. Lord, that in the next couple moments, now that we are going to share, Lord, you are going to move in a special and specific way. 
Lord, I thank you that you are gonna touch our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see you for who you really are, not for who religion has tried to paint you out to be, not for who condemnation has tried to paint you out to be, but Lord, help us to see the real you this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are gonna give us exactly what we need. Lord, I thank you that you would make this word tailor-made for the hearts in here and those listening online. Lord, I thank you that you're enough. We don't need a preacher. We don't need a band. All, all that's extra. We just really need you. And Lord, I thank you that when we leave here, doubting hearts are going to find faith in you. Hearts that are full of fear, Lord, are gonna be comforted by your love. Hearts that have come in here today anxious are gonna find peace. And I thank you for it right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, come on. Amen, amen. amen. Have you... Have you ever had a streak going and then you broke your streak? You ever had a solid streak going and then all of a sudden something came in and broke uh, your streak? I don't know if there's anything more devastating than losing a streak that means a lot to you. And I was thinking about this and you know, gearing up for my message this weekend and honestly, God was taking me through this study and it was changing my life. And I began to think about losing a streak, and I remembered a streak I lost one time uh, that meant honestly way too much to me. It went way too much to me. And uh, this streak happened when um, I was dating the woman who then be later became my wife. Okay, we got Beth Clark on the front row looking like a whole grain snack this morning. <laughs> Love you, baby. We've been married. If you don't know our story, Beth and I have been married. Coming up next month is going to be two years. Been married two years. And uh, Beth is originally from Indiana, but I did my best to save her from the luscious hills of Indiana and drag her to the desert with me. Okay. Misery loves company, right? And so she lived in Indiana. I lived in Texas. And some of you are wondering how that all happened. Um, and the story is we actually met on this little obscure dating app. You've probably never heard of it. Um, it's called Instagram. Okay, we met on this, <laughs> that's a joke, people. Okay, we met on Instagram, and the truth is, is I have the microphone, she's gonna hate that I'm gonna say this, but she slid in my DMs, okay? For all of you people over 40 years old, that meant she messaged me first, okay? <laughs> she sent me a message. Uh, girl, you're just lucky I responded. You're lucky I responded. <laughs> I'm playing. But she sent me a message and all of a sudden, you know, we begin to talk and we talked for about a solid two months and then I, I couldn't help myself and she pretty much demanded that I come to Indiana and meet her. She's like, boy, are you about this? Because if you're not, peace out. I said, I'm about it. I hopped on a plane and I went to Indiana um, and that very first day we hung out in April of 2020, uh, we began to date, we fell in love. I was already in love, but we declared our love for one another. And 50 days after we started dating, we got engaged, okay, 50 days. We only dated for 50 days, okay? And then 77 days after we got engaged, we got married, okay? And next month, we celebrate two years of marriage. And just real quick, oh, thank you, thank you. To God be the glory. But just real quick, that is how God sometimes does relationships. That's not how God like all the time does relationships. I just don't want anybody leaving here today thinking, Keenan and Beth only dated for 50 days. I can just go find some hunk and convince him to marry me. That is how God sometimes works, okay? Not all the time, but it worked in our case, okay? So we started, we were dating and a lot of our dating relationship was long distance. And so we had to do the digital 
getting to know you. And uh, one of the ways that we would talk throughout the day when we couldn't FaceTime was we used Snapchat, okay? And I will just say, we kept it holy. We kept it godly. Okay, I know Snapchat has a bit of a bad rap, okay? The devil loves to use it as well, but we kept it in a, we used it in a very redemptive sort of way, okay? I just wanted to see that face as often as I could. So we would Snapchat and consequently, um, while we were snapping, we developed what's called a snap streak, okay? We developed this snap streak, and for those of you who don't know what that means, it's just this little number next to her name that tells me how many days in a row we have been communicating, okay? We developed this streak day after day of talking to one another, and it got pretty high, I'm not gonna lie, you know, like 54 or something like that, as long as our relationship was at the time. I remember she came to see me, she was here in San Angelo, and, you know, we got busy throughout the day. We were doing, you know, everything San Angelo has to offer. So we did nothing. And um, we're running around town, you know. And I remember we were hanging out and we got to the end of the day. And I remember Beth was in another room. And all of a sudden I checked my phone and she just hears me go, babe. And I run in there. And I'm like, babe. She's like, what? What, Keenan? I said, babe, we lost our snap streak. We did not Snapchat all day. We lost our streak. She said, Kenan, what does it matter? Okay. I am right here. It's not like I'm ghosting you. Okay. It's not like I no longer want to talk to you. I'm actually here. I said, babe, I understand you're here, but this matters. Okay. For whatever reason, it really bothered me. Now I'm just burying my soul before you this morning. Just so you understand, this is what this is. This is therapy for me. Okay. But it really bothered me if somebody else had a longer snap streak with Beth than I did, okay? Which luckily, I married one of the good ones, okay? She wasn't like snapping other guys, all her other snap streaks with her girlfriends. But it bothered me nonetheless if she had a longer streak with somebody else. And I was like, babe, our snap streak is gone. And I truly felt like our relationship had taken a hit. I'm not gonna lie. I truly felt like somehow our relationship had taken a punch to the face. And so I'm sitting there freaking out. She's trying to get me to calm down. She hands me the paper bag. I breathe in it. You know, all was all ended pretty well. And I remember it bothered me so much so that I literally contacted Snapchat. I contacted the powers that be, right? And I contacted them and I convinced them to restore our Snap streak and all was right with the world again, right? I stand here today having grown from that moment two years later, a man of God, okay? But I honestly think as dumb as that story is, and one of the reasons I tell you it is just to prove to you if God can use me, <laughs> he can use you, okay? If God can use the likes of me, he can use you. But I also think it gives us an innocent little window into a pretty heavy topic, and that is what happens when it's not just an insignificant snap streak that you lose, but what happens when it's a significant streak that you lose? What happens when it's a streak that you've been following God all the days of your life? I mean, we live in the Bible Belt. Many of us have grown up in church. We've grown up in the faith. And what happens when you've been walking year after year after year with God and then you enter into a season of doubt? What happens when you begin to lose your faith streak? What happens when all of a sudden you've been walking and striding with the Lord and then you enter into a season of significant doubt? How do we handle the doubts that come into our hearts, our soul, and our mind? 
That's what I want to talk about this morning. What happens when you begin to feel like you are losing your faith? That is exactly where we find John the Baptist this morning in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist, you have to understand, in this moment, he is literally asking, he's saying, he's telling his disciples, run and ask Jesus this, hey, are you the one? Or should we expect somebody else? Like, are you really God? Is what John the Baptist is asking. Now you have to understand, when I read Matthew chapter 11, I was absolutely shocked to hear that John the Baptist is doubting whether or not Jesus is actually God. And here's why I'm shocked by that. Because I know where John came from. I know John the Baptist's story. You have to understand, um, you could argue, you could make the argument, you could make the biblical case that John the Baptist's faith streak started before he was even born. You could make the biblical case for it. Go read Luke chapter one, first chapter of Luke. Go read it. You could make the biblical case. We find here in Luke one that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant with Jesus, but she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth who is pregnant as well with John the Baptist. She goes to visit her and all of a sudden when pregnant Mary walks into the room, all of a sudden Elizabeth goes, whoa! The baby inside of me just leapt when you walked into the room. Evidently, even from the womb, John the Baptist could recognize divinity just entered the room. I don't know how that works, but the Bible says that that is what John in the womb did, that he literally stood at attention when Jesus in the womb walked into the room he was in. Somehow John was innately in tune with the divinity of Christ even before he was born. We fast forward the story. There's so much more I could tell you about John the Baptist. But we fast forward the story and we find ourselves in Matthew chapter three. And in Matthew three, we find John. He's a full grown man, got a beard. He's been eating locusts and honey. He's a wild guy. And all of a sudden he's been baptizing people. That's how he got the name John the Baptist, okay? It wasn't that he went to a Baptist church. It was because he was baptizing people. That's how he got the name. So he's baptizing people. And all of a sudden Jesus walks up out of the crowd and says, hey, John, I want you to baptize me. And John says, you want me to what? You want me to what you? I am not worthy to even untie your sandals, let alone baptize you. And Jesus says, it's right that this happens. So all of a sudden, Jesus walks down into the Jordan River with John. John lays his hands on the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, God with human skin and bone on. He lays his hands on him and he dunks him under the water, brings him out. And the Bible tells us this happens, that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Now notice, it doesn't say it was a dove, it said like a dove. So many people are like, the Holy Spirit's a dove. No, he just descended like one, okay? Descended like a dove, and then to make it better, all of a sudden, the voice of God splits the sky and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, you have to understand, this was not some little unction Jesus felt in his heart. And he said, mm, I just feel affirmed by my father. That was not what this was. This was an audible voice that not only Jesus heard, but everybody heard, including John the Baptist. John is standing there holding Jesus, the son. All of a sudden, this Holy Spirit descends, the spirit, and God, the father, decides to speak from the sky. The very first time the entire Trinity shows up in one place, John is sitting there watching it. You can't paint the picture of Jesus' baptism and exclude John. 
John is smack dab in the middle of it. And listen to me, that guy who jumped in the womb and heard an audible voice from heaven declare Jesus was his son, eight chapters later, is now doubting whether or not Jesus is God. That same guy, just eight chapters later, is going, are you the one? Or should we expect somebody else? And I point all of that out about John to you to prove to you this, that if John the Baptist could find himself in a moment of doubt, anyone can have a moment of doubt. If John could have a moment of doubt, any one of us could have a moment of doubt. Can I just set you at ease this morning? You are not a bad person because you doubt. There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief opposes the truth. Doubt says, I'm trying my best to believe the truth. I have some things, I have some worries, I have some concerns, but I'm doing my best. Even John the Baptist doubted. You are not a bad person. Listen to me, you are not a bad person because you doubt. We've all doubted our faith. And listen to me, if you ever meet an individual who tells you they have never doubted their faith, you need to doubt that person because <laughs> they are lying. We have all, if we were to get honest before God, have had moments of doubting our faith. Even John doubted. And you know what? When we begin to doubt our faith, I really think that it's easy for the enemy to begin to slither in and try to convince you that God now defines you according to your doubt. You ever felt that way? All of a sudden you begin to doubt God, you begin to doubt the word, you begin to doubt who Jesus is and the enemy just begins to whisper at you, God now defines you as a doubter. You're now doubting Bronson. You're like doubting Thomas, you know? It's easy for us to begin to identify with our doubts. It's easy for that to begin to happen. But here's what I want you to see, how Jesus responded to John's doubt. This is what I want you to see. If we skip ahead eight verses, we leave Matthew three where John vocalizes his doubt and we go to Matthew 11, 11. From Matthew 11, three to Matthew 11, 11, we find Jesus saying this. Let's throw Matthew 11, 11 up. It says this, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived. These are the words of Jesus. None is greater than John the Baptist. Of everyone who has ever lived, there ain't nobody better than John the Baptist. This is not years after John doubted and he's gone out on a few faith limbs. He's really been doing his darndest to get over that season of doubt. This is right after John vocalizes his doubt. Jesus responds, hey, I tell you the truth, there ain't nobody better than John the Baptist. There ain't nobody better than John the Baptist. And I wanna tell you this and show you this to prove to you this point that God does not define you by your doubt. You are not defined by your doubt to God. Your doubt does not define you. Your doubts do not define you. And can I just prove to you this? This is proof to me that because you doubt God, it does not all of a sudden make God doubt you. Many of us think that if I doubt God, God all of a sudden starts doubting me. God all of a sudden wants to walk away from me. God treats me how I treat him. No, God says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know why he tells us to do that? Because that's what he does. God does not treat you how you treat him. God stays constant 
He stays the same. He does not morph and shape shift like you do in your weakest moments, in your most doubtful moments. God stays constant. Your doubts don't define you, but yet so many of us, of us allow our doubts to define us. John begins to doubt. And we must ask ourselves, why in the world would John the Baptist, of all people, begin to doubt? Why would the guy who recognized who Jesus was from the womb and saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and heard the audible voice of God, why would he start to doubt? And I want to point this out to you to kind of give you some perspective and some context as to why John would doubt. Notice where John is when he begins to doubt. Let's throw Matthew 11 verse 2 back up. Matthew 11 2, it says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison. John is in prison when he begins to doubt Jesus. I don't know about you, but prison's a pretty dark place. Prison's a pretty dark season. Prison's a pretty dark moment. And I have found it gets easy to doubt God when you find yourself in the dark. Are you walking through a dark season? You walking through a tough moment? It gets real easy to begin to doubt when you find yourself in the dark. And listen to me this morning. If you would say that you right now are walking through, are navigating a dark season and are prone to doubt, I really feel like this is the word of the Lord for you. I really feel like God is saying this. Do not doubt in the dark what I told you in the light. Don't you dare doubt in the dark what I told you in the light. That is exactly what we see happening to, to John the Baptist in this moment. He is quite literally doubting in the dark what God told him in the light of Matthew 3. God literally said when he was baptizing Jesus, this is my son. He heard God say that in the light of day. And now he's in the darkness of the prison cell and he is beginning to doubt the very thing he heard in the light. That's what the enemy attacks. But remember, that's why God gave it to you. God gave it to you in the light so that you would have it in the dark. It's in the dark that we need what God said in the light. Don't you dare doubt in the dark what God told you and what God said to you in the light. John begins to doubt. And notice, it doesn't just say that John's in prison. Get this, get this. I love this stuff. I'm, I'm a junkie for the Bible, man. I get weird over it. I'm like, give it to me in the vein. You know, I love this stuff. It says that John the Baptist, who was in prison, throw verse two back up, just so y'all know I ain't lying. It says this, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. Notice John is in prison and he begins to hear about what Jesus is doing. John used to experience firsthand what Jesus is doing. But now that he's in the dark, he's having to live off of what other people are experiencing with Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, it gets really easy to doubt when you are relying on other people's experiences with God. When you are living off of what other people know about God, it gets really easy to doubt God yourself. Do not be surprised when you begin to own your doubt after you've just been borrowing other people's faith. Don't be surprised when you begin to own your doubt, when you've been living off other people's faith. Listen to me, my friend. Eventually, you have to start having your own encounters with God. It's great to come into church 
and have somebody teach you the word of God. But right now, you are getting to eat off of what God fed me. That's what you're doing right now. Eventually, this is great. This is how it's supposed to work on Sunday morning, but this should be an extension of your relationship with God, not the extent of your relationship with God. Don't be surprised when you begin to own your doubt after you've just been borrowing other people's faith. John hears about what Jesus is doing and begins to doubt. And this blew my mind, Bronson. It blew my mind because every time I read in the scriptures that somebody heard the reports about Jesus, they're normally infused with faith. I mean, let's think about the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says she heard the reports about Jesus and that filled her with faith, so much faith that she left her house, risked her life, crawled through a crowd only to touch the hem of his garment. Usually when people hear about Jesus, they're filled with faith, but not John. John heard about Jesus and was filled with doubt. And I began to ask myself, why would hearing about what Jesus is doing cause John to doubt? And this is why. It's because what he heard Jesus was doing wasn't what he thought Jesus was gonna do. What he heard Jesus was doing wasn't what he had thought Jesus was gonna do. John, you, 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 you can make the case that if you read through Matthew 3, when you find John the Baptist preaching and teaching and doing his ministry, he is a harsh guy. He's up in your grill. He is up in your face. In fact, him being up in people's grill was what led him to prison. He got up in the king's grill. He got up in Herod's grill. It led him to prison. John is up in people's face being judgmental. If he was on my serve team, I'd have to have constant corrective conversations saying, I love your enthusiasm for God, but you need to learn to love people, okay? John is heavy-handed, in your face, judgmental. And he no doubt thought Jesus was gonna be the same way. And then the one who was preparing the way of the Lord got out of the way of the Lord and the Lord did not do ministry the way John thought he was going to. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up into town and he's healing people. He's spending time with the people no one else wants to spend time with. He's hanging out with the sinner and the tax collector. Those that have turned their back on their people. Jesus spends time with them. Jesus, even in John chapter three, stayed up late one night talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. The very guys John the Baptist called the brood of vipers. Jesus takes time for the people John wanted to write off. And now all of a sudden John's hearing about the deeds of the Messiah and it begins to create doubt because the Messiah wasn't doing what John thought he was gonna be doing. And listen to me, anytime there is a discrepancy between what God is doing and what you thought he would do, it creates an opportunity for disappointment. Disappointment. Are you disappointed with God this morning? Have you ever been disappointed with how God did or did not move? Listen to me, disappointment unchecked always leads to doubt. Disappointment unhealed, unaddressed, unchecked, it will always lead to doubt. And John in this moment is severely disappointed in what Jesus is doing. And now he begins to doubt. But I love how Jesus responds to John doubting. I love how Jesus responds. Jesus says this, I believe it's in verse four, Matthew eleven four. Jesus says this, Jesus replied, go back and report to John 
what you hear and see. Listen, he gives him a list. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is what Jesus says. Hey, run and tell John that. <laughs> run and tell John that the, the blind eyes are opening, that deaf ears are being opened, that the lame are beginning to walk, that lepers are being cleansed, that the good news is being preached to the poor. He says, run and tell John that. Now, at first glance, hang with me, at first glance, it could easily seem like Jesus is like, hey, give John my resume. Hey, give John all the stuff you've seen me do and what you've heard me do. Why don't you tell John about my pedigree? Why don't you tell John what I've been up to? It seems like Jesus is flexing in front of John. But notice, you have to understand, Jesus is not flexing in front of John. Jesus is reminding John of the scriptures. Oh, you don't know that? Jesus in this moment is almost verbatim quoting Isaiah 61 something that was written hundreds and hundreds of years before John the Baptist or Jesus showed up on the scene physically. Isaiah 61 declared and prophesied this. In fact, you don't believe me, let's go to Luke 4 where Jesus reads Isaiah 61. Luke 4 says this. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is Isaiah 61, verse one. Jesus reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is that not almost verbatim? The list that Jesus said, run and tell John this. Jesus is taking John in his doubt back to what was already said about Jesus. Jesus is taking John back to the scriptures. Jesus is saying this, John, the reason you're disappointed in me is because what you thought about me wasn't based in what was already said about me. The reason you are disappointed is because what you thought is not based on what God said. And listen to me, anytime we hold tighter to what we thought, then we hold to what God said, we will end up disappointed. Anytime we hold on tighter, I thought it was gonna go this way. I thought it was supposed to go that way. I thought this door was gonna open, and then I was gonna meet that person, and they were gonna recognize who I was, and they were gonna give me opportunity, or I thought she was the one. Anytime we hold tighter to I thought, rather than what God said, we set ourselves up for disappointment because listen God is not obligated or bound to what you thought he is bound to what he said God is bound to what he said not to what you thought and this is why it is so important that you and I don't just have this ethereal kind of construct of God in our mind, but we allow the living, breathing word of God to frame our concept of God, to frame our relationship with God. We can't just go, well, I think God's like this. I don't really care who you think God is. I care what the word says about God. You and I can get an error. Well, I couldn't see God doing that. Well, his word says he does. So I don't really care what you can or cannot see. I found it in his word. The word has to frame what we believe about God because if it doesn't, we set ourselves up for disappointment because God is not dedicated to your plan. He's not. 
He's dedicated to his. His plans shall prevail. No word from his mouth will return void or fall to the ground. Anytime we hold on tighter to what I thought than what God said, we set ourselves up for disappointment and doubt. And notice this, Jesus seems to think the answer for doubt is the word of God. <laughs> Would you believe that? Jesus seems to think, oh, you're doubting God? That means you need to go read the word of God. I'm here to tell you this morning, the word of God helps us deal with our doubts about God. The word of God is there to help us deal with our doubts about God. But for whatever reason, I don't know why we're like this, but when we begin to doubt God, the word of God is the last place we go. It's the last place we go. Do we go to philosophy? We go to high and lofty academic thinkers. We go to YouTubers and, and, and different philosophers. We go to all these people who don't even acknowledge the God we're doubting. And what do they do? They reinforce our doubt. And what we become is what Mary was in Luke 24 when she came to the tomb looking for Jesus. She came to the tomb, looks inside, and Jesus was not there. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears before her, and he asks her this question. He says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's what we're doing when we run to high and lofty academic thinkers who don't give a rip about our God. When we begin to doubt him, we are looking for the living among the dead. Philosophy is dead if it doesn't acknowledge God. High and lofty academic thinkers, they may be brilliant and they are made in the image of God, but if they have not bent their knee at the foot of the cross, my Bible says they are still dead in their sins. There is only one thing that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word is alive. And we've got to search the living to find the living. But for whatever reason, the word is the last place we go when we begin to doubt God. And all of a sudden, doubt just begins to creep in and seep in and infect our entire belief system. Jesus said, hey, John, the answer, it's the word. He was really saying this, John, I'm gonna, because John, you have to understand, he knew Isaiah 61. John knew about it, but he forgot about it. So Jesus has to take his arm around John, so to speak, and walk him back to the thing he already knew and say, look again. I think that's a lot of what God has to do with us. A lot of us, we don't need to be shown something new. We need to be shown what we already have in a correct light. God says, hey, you already had the answer. Let me walk you back and show you again. Look again. I really feel like that's a word for somebody this morning. Look again. Look again. Look through a lens of faith. Look through the lens of the word of God. Jesus saying, hey, John, look again. You're disappointed and doubting for no reason. And I already told you this was gonna go this way. And then Jesus lands the plane here with John. So this is where I will land the plane with you. If we could have Evan come and play quietly behind me. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse six. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. Now, the first thing I love about that is that Jesus is literally in this moment acknowledging following him is hard. That's what he's acknowledging. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble because it's easy to stumble when you're following Jesus. 
It's easy to stumble when you're walking by faith. That's why you're blessed if you don't, because it's easy to do. Jesus is acknowledging the faith walk is not an easy walk. Trusting God is not an easy place to live your life, but it's the only place to live your life. It's easy to stumble, but blessed is anyone, notice that word, who does not stumble on account of me. You have to understand that word stumble is literally a word picture and it paints the picture of a rock that is strategically in your path that you could potentially trip over or stumble on. That's what the word picture is here in this moment. It's a rock that is in your path. It is in your way. You cannot avoid it. There's no way around it and you could potentially stumble over it. This is just kind of how I see it. I see it almost like this. All of a sudden, you're walking through life and here's a stumbling block. And you're walking by faith, you're doing the best you can, you're following Jesus every day, and then all of a sudden, bam, you hit the stumbling block. You hit a disappointment, you break your streak, and you find yourself, listen to me, you find yourself disappointed in two things. Either you find yourself disappointed in yourself or you find yourself disappointed with God. But listen to me, no matter who the disappointment is aimed at, disappointment will always lead to the same place, doubt. And many of us, we hit the stumbling block of disappointment. And what do we do? We just take a seat in our doubt. Say, hey, I guess, I guess this is as far as God called me. It was a good run, but I guess I'm done. I thought he was gonna do it differently. I thought they were gonna get healed. I thought God said they wouldn't die. I thought God said I'd always have more than enough and I'm staring down creditors that call me incessantly. I thought, I thought, I thought, I guess I'm done. It's easy to take a seat in your doubt when you've run into the stumbling block of disappointment. But listen to me, this is what God showed me about the stumbling block and I pray it hits you. All of a sudden, this is what faith does. Are you ready? Faith, I would love to tell you faith removes the stumbling block, but it doesn't. I would love to tell you that if you had faith, the stumbling block just wouldn't be there when you get there, but that's not the truth. People who walk by faith are people who don't find themselves in the same storm. But all of a sudden, what faith does is you come across that same stumbling block, that same disappointment, that same opportunity for doubt. And faith says this, wait a second. I don't think that's a stumbling block. I think, a, I think it's a stepping stone. I don't think it's a stumbling block. I think it's a stepping stone. Listen to me, faith takes stumbling blocks and turns them in to stepping stones. Listen to me, your doubt is not an obstacle to your faith. Your doubt is an opportunity to step into a higher level of faith than you have ever walked in before. Your doubt is an opportunity for your faith, not an obstacle to your faith. It's giving you an option. Yeah, you can take a seat and you can acquiesce, you can capitulate, you can sit down like the rest of them, or you can stand up in who God has made you to be, or you can stand up in the fact that God knows the plans I have. They're plans to prosper me. They're plans to give me a future and a hope. And if it's not a future that has hope, then he's not done. Faith takes stumbling blocks and turns them into stepping stones. Is that not the message of the gospel? Is that not the message of the cross? that would look like a stumbling block for Jesus 
became a stepping stone for me. That Jesus' stumbling block became my stepping stone. That it allowed me to step out of death and into life, to step out of rags and into the righteousness of God, to step out of sickness and into hell, to step out of hell, condemnation, and step into the righteousness that can only come for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. What looked like a stumbling block, when looked at through a lens of the word of God and through a lens of faith becomes a stepping stone. And here is what I feel the Lord is saying to you today. You have an opportunity when you come across a stumbling block. And here's the opportunity. You're going to give something the benefit of the doubt. Give it to me. That's what I feel like God's asking you for. God's not asking for you to pick yourself up and dust yourself off. He's saying, you're gonna doubt. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't give your doubt the benefit of the doubt. Don't give culture the benefit of the doubt. Don't give your naysayers the benefit of the doubt. Don't give the enemy the benefit of the doubt. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Hedge your bets on heaven. That's what God's saying to you this morning. Would you give me the benefit of your doubt? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.